Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Pay. He's Chris Danziel. Chris, it's a little fitting that yesterday was President's Day because we need a state of the state of the Nova Nation right now because I don't know, man. I remember last time we were on the show, it feels like forever ago, but it was only last week and we were like, a lot of what's going to happen on Wednesday will determine how we feel going into Saturday. And I was skeptical going into Saturday, but then you look at the beatdown and just the great all-around performance that Nova had against Marquette, and you're sitting there thinking, wow, this team is legit. The rust is put it behind them. Everyone did great. Jerry's got his shot back. He's even stroking it from deep. We're going to go into Omaha and potentially bulldoze these Jays. Unfortunately, the opposite happened. <laughs> it was kind of false hope. And it wasn't exactly the prettiest performance on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday was was something. I said that they were going to win, and that is a uh, horrific prediction. They they weren't even that competitive outside of maybe first five to ten minutes of the game, and then after that, it was just a snowball effect. But yeah, Eugene, after that Marquette game, I was like, all right, everyone's good. It was the perfect get-right game, and... After Saturday, I think that Marquette games is more about Marquette than it does about Villanova. But, you know, Jerry gets 27. You're like, all right, he's back. The whole starting five after a pitiful performance against St. John's the week before, you're like, all right, everyone's back. Everyone's got their shot back. You're going to go in the crate and be fine. And the exact opposite happened. Man, what is this conference right now? Like Creighton <laughs> can't beat the mediocre teams at the bottom half of the conference and during the midweek. And then they come out against Villanova and they look like world beaters. Meanwhile, Villanova beats up on Marquette, but then they go up against Creighton and they don't even look competitive. Then they go up against St. John's and they look really bad. I don't know what to make of it right now. Like, obviously, with the very limited non-con play this year, it's kind of hard to get more of a gauge than you would in past years. But now it's like, are the bad teams that bad or are they better than what we think they are? Or are the good teams just not that good? I, I don't know. It's, it's very hard to get a grasp of. Yeah, exactly that. Just because of the limited non-con games, and it was also early in the year, and I feel like everyone was just kind of getting thrown into the basketball season, readjusting to life after COVID put everything to a standstill. So I feel like even those games back then, it's not exactly the same now. So we're kind of limited to just kind of putting everything and projecting and hypothesizing how good the Big East is. And Chris... We were kind of saying it last week or even throughout the show in recent weeks. Crane's great, but, but when they're losing to Butler and Providence and Georgetown, it's like, is this team for real? And now we go into Omaha, lose. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to – I don't think it's really going to change my perspective of Creighton, but it might have changed my perspective a little bit on Villanova. Is Villanova for real? Yeah, I, I think it's a valid question to ask now. And, you know, we usually – bang the drum for this team week in and week out. And we're usually relatively positive, at least compared to our early days on the show, Eugene. But in the back of our minds, if we're being honest, we were always kind of like, well, the non-con schedule is not the best right now. Or, you know, we really haven't had a really big game to kind of see what this team is like. And we kind of joked about it with the whole Gonzaga thing. It's like, haha, like, you know, we don't want to get exposed on national TV or whatever, all that stuff. But now you're, you're starting to think it's like, oh, maybe, maybe they kind of, had a point <laughs> i don't know what to think of this right now now look it is february and we say this every year it's early february too. yeah it's it, villanova always goes through one of these quote-unquote swoons 
where there's a random week in February where they have a bad stretch. They'll lose two of three or they'll lose it like to St. John's on a Wednesday night. Like it's just awful. And you feel like, Oh wow, is this team for real? And then they go out and they beat everybody else. And then you're fine until they play a real team again. And then they might get in a little bit of a scrap and it's like, all right, is they, are they for real? It's the same mental gymnastics we do every single February. So for now, I am not going to proclaim from the hilltop and be like Villanova is fraudulent. However, after Saturday, I'm just a little concerned. That's all. Yeah, and going off of that, in the earlier days of the show, Chris, we were kind of new at this. I remember we would freak out, even if it was like, oh, we barely beat DePaul. Why are we <laughs> getting into a slugfest with DePaul? That shouldn't be happening. Yeah. And shout-outs to Brendan Riley. I think he kind of opened our eyes a little bit, and it's like, you always got to think bigger picture. Even though mm-hmm. February hasn't been exactly the greatest months for Villanova, when it comes to March or later down the line, they prove you wrong. Or they prove that, oh, it was just a little temporary slump, little swoon, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Just looking back over the years, you look at the 2018 National Championship year, they lost twice in one week to St. John's and Providence, and then they lost again to Creighton in overtime in the month of February. Mm-hmm. Follow that up with 2019, the Phil Booth, Eric Pascal senior year. It was in probably an even worse February than what we're experiencing oh, now. That was or, probably the worst month we've experienced. Oh, in, yeah, in, long, in like the last, yeah, in the last 10 years, for sure. Mm-hmm. You, you were looking at five losses in one month between February 9 and March 9. You had four losses in the month of February. There was a stretch where Nova lost three in a row to St. John's, Georgetown, and Xavier. And then what happened? They went back and then they won the Big East tournament like it was no problem. And then we were like, oh, okay. I guess we're fine. fine." Yeah. Second weekend possibility, maybe. Who knows? That type of thing. And then you look back here, Villanova looked great before going on the COVID pause. They had that huge marquee win against Texas. Yeah, they dropped one against Virginia Tech. But the early wins against Arizona State looked pretty nice. Boston College was a little hairy, but they pulled it out. And then Nova went on that nice winning streak. They go on pause. They come back, get into an ugly one with Seton Hall. And all of a sudden you're like, oh boy, we got, maybe right. we got bailed out a little bit. <laughs> a Big game Jermaine saved us, whatever it was. And then they're going against Providence. You're like, oh, okay. Everything, everything was fine. Everything was fine. And yeah. then in the rematch against Seton Hall, they were pretty much in control the whole time. I know it was an eight point margin, but it didn't feel like that. Then they go into St. John's, and then, <laughs> wow. Everything broke down. Yeah. yeah, everything broke down. And then they correct themselves with wins over Georgetown and a dominant performance against Marquette, only to lose against the Creighton. And now, Chris, here we are again. Just when things are looking good again, <laughs> it, it falls apart. Yeah, it, it really did. I, I don't want to be that guy, but my, I think I am. I, I don't want this that St. John's game to be the like line of demarcation from good Villanova to bad Villanova. Like, I hate that. Like, I just have this feeling that like, we're going to be sitting here in margin and we're going to be like, well, that game against St. John's really exposed this. It exposed the offense. It kind of broke Colin and it kind of broke JRE. And, you know, the blueprint has been laid out and now Villanova's screwed. And I I really don't want to be saying that. I don't, but you know, they did dominate Marquette. Yeah. Like I said, that says more. About, I think that says more about Marquette than Villanova. Marquette's shot. They've given up on Wojo. He's gone. He's good as gone. And, you know, maybe they go on a 
late March run and or early March run in the tournament and you know save the coach coach's job whatever and they could prove me wrong so be it but they look absolutely shot so I would expect Villanova to go out there and dominate and I'm glad they did obviously the alternatives they go out there and they lose and then we're really freaking out but that that St. John's game <laughs> I can't shake it I'm like <laughs> it just feels it just feels like they it, something broke when during that game something happened I don't know what I, I don't know if Creighton studied that tape and they're like, oh, there we go. Found the magical, the magic bullet there. And, and now we know how to beat this team. And I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Like, how do you, how do you explain? I mean, sure. I'm sure this happens every year. Maybe we're just more privy to it this year because it's just conference. But Creighton looked awful for the past month and a half. And now all of a sudden they come out against Villanova and they look like gangbusters. Like, what will the real Creighton please stand up? Is this the real Creighton or is that not the real Creighton? I don't know. So, like, I, that's why I'm more concerned about Villanova as well. It's like, are we losing to a Creighton team that really isn't that good? I, I have no idea. No idea. That's the thing. I don't entirely want to push the panic button, and I've seen some people are starting to hit that just kind of like, wait, maybe this team isn't as good as we thought, or maybe this team isn't the world beater as we assumed they'd be just because they had everybody back. However, Saturday's loss, I think, did reveal some weaknesses that we really need to address. And the first one, this is obviously not going to be a quick fix, but I cannot believe, I guess we underestimated how much of an impact one man in Sadiq Bay had. And yeah, mm-hmm. he had the highlight games. He, he rained down buckets. You can think back to the Georgetown and some other of his big moments last year. But defensively, what he contributed, just being able to guard anyone, whether it's the best guy who's, a five foot ten guard or a bigger man who's a six foot eight forward inside, he you could depend on that guy to lock him down or make his assignment have a bad day at the office. We don't have that sort of presence this time around. And not just that, the defense. I don't know. <laughs> we still oh don't understand God. what Ken Palm is saying when this team is, you know, top fifty, top sixty. Granted, after the Creighton game, Villanova's adjusting def- yeah, they dropped to number ninety. But Right now, the Cats are looking at the bottom 50 three-point defense in the entire NCAA. That's mm-hmm. that's not like them. That's not like them at all. It's not like them at all. And to your point, Eugene, you are 100% right. I, I agree with you. There was a, I always felt like there was always someone on this team that you could expect to step up defensively, and, and this one has nobody. Nobody. I, Colin's not that great defensively. Caleb Daniels is kind of just floating around sometimes. I'd say – out of the starting lineup, maybe Justin Moore's the like one guy I kind of trust the most defensively. But even then, it's like, eh. Like I would like Sl- I like Slater defensively, but he doesn't do enough offensively to kind of warrant the playing time. Although he did kind of have an okay offensive game in garbage time at the end here. But like, how many times like were guys inside just getting whatever they wanted? Like Clark Bishop had like a career game. He w- he was untouched down well. Everything was an alley oop. Like, there was no backdoor defense. There was no inside presence on defense. There was no uh, perimeter defense whatsoever. Every no. three-pointer that Creighton took was a wide-open shot. Wide open. And if, it, and if anyone was in the vicinity, hand down, man down. Like, there was not even a contest on any shot outside of maybe, like, two or three that I can think off the top of my head. But it's, it seemed like every single one they were taking was wide open in, in, in their wheelhouse. Like Marcus and no one also another thing that aggravated me too. And I'm sure this has been a problem. I just never was that privy to it until you play a good team like Creighton. 
will someone step up and stop the ball on transition? They're all like excited. They're excited. They scored. And it's great. You scored. But then they go back and like Zagorowski's like already at the three point line and no one has a man yet. And I'm just like, guys, pick up your guy. Or if Zagorowski on a, on a missed shot brings it up, he's, he's getting to the free throw line with like untouched without, without anyone like, getting within five feet of him. And then it frees up everything. He can drive in. There was a couple of those times where he just took the ball himself into the lane and got an easy layup. Or a couple of times he would just swing it out for, for an assist for a three in the corner, wide open. It was just befuddling. I, I never seen it that bad. And it wasn't like so much they were getting beaten off switches. It was just lapses of, of the system. It was awful. It was like almost like they didn't expect that Creighton would be shooting threes. Like, I, I, I don't know what it was. Yeah, no matter what happened on Saturday, it just felt like Villanova was just one or two steps behind Creighton whenever they're on defense, whether it was struggling to stop the ball or fast break opportunities to that extra pass that just completely threw Villanova's defense out of sync to that open Creighton shooter who would inevitably, most of the times, punish Villanova. Just a rough game overall. I mean, you look at Villanova's 96-64 win against Marquette, the entire starting five hit double figures. JRE leading the way with 27 points, five of five from deep. You're starting to think like, wow, is this where he starts to turn the corner? Is this the real Villanova right here? Then they mm-hmm. go into Creighton. Not exactly the best. They were trailing pretty much the entirety of the game. Granted, the first half was a lot closer than the second, and that was due to Villanova capitalizing on some second chance opportunities and creating some shots for itself off offensive rebounds. But we got an 86-70 to 70 final score. The Blue Jays, led by Marcus Zagorowski, who you said, Chris, was pretty much tormenting Nova, especially in the first dominant. half. Yeah, dominant. He finished with 25 points, 10 of 18 on the floor. And then when he started quiet down in the second half, that's when Mitch Ballack came in. And, of course, he did. Of course, yeah. this is the guy we were like, Oh, oh, yeah. Down here. <laughs> yeah, down here. Well. He, he's not shooting as well as he has over the last two years. He's not scoring as much. But, of course, what does he do? He goes out and hits five of six from deep in the second half and finishes with <laughs> 17 of his 20 points <laughs> over the last 15 or so minutes because, was, yeah, of course. So predictable. It's your typical Creighton-Villanova <laughs> game nonsense. And I guess, in fairness, I guess we really, really haven't had a type of Racky-type game in a little bit. But my God, dude, the dude was pulling up from like just inside half court. Yeah. And yeah. and to be fair to the Villanova three point defense that I just ripped apart, like what like there's nothing you can do about that. And I understand that. Like if he, the dude's just gonna pull up from that range, like there's nothing you can do. I I get it. I get it. But I don't know, maybe just try guarding a little bit. To kind of prevent it from happening next time, just just saying. But now that concerns me about the next game. Because remember what happened with the Raggy thing? They adjusted the Raggy, but then Doug McDermott had like one of the best games <laughs> of his career. So it's like, what what's next? Zagorowski's going to go like ten of ten from three. Just watch. Yeah, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because this was probably the first time Crane made me so sad since that 2014 Doug McDermott, Ethan Raggy teams. And granted, those two games, you know, you want to talk about abysmal. Those 2014 Mm. games were probably the definition of that soul-sucking, just complete, utter shock and disappointment. Saturday, yeah, Creighton's beaten us before since 2014. But Saturday just felt, I felt that same type of dread and the same type of sadness as I did in 2014. Even though the margin of victory by Creighton wasn't as big as it was back then, 
just because the threes were they were just raining them down. Even yeah. inside Christian Bishop, who was smaller than JRE, I thought JRE would be able to dominate that matchup. But you had Bishop go off for a double double, 16 points, 10 boards. And then even Damian Jefferson chipping in another double double yeah. with 10 points, 10 boards. It was pick your pick, pick your poison. I was like, oh, you want to guard the three? We'll go inside. Oh, you want to guard inside? Okay, we'll just pass it to an open man. Right. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Bishop and Jefferson had their days in size. Zagorowski and Balak were great from the perimeter. And then there was the you know, kind of do it all guy, both perimeter and inside Denzel Mahoney. And he probably had the worst game of the, of the bunch, but he got Creighton off to a good start in the first half. So, I mean, it's not first half, second half, sorry, but it's just like, you, there was no way you could stop him. You wanted to stop him outside. No, you want to stop him inside. No. And even if you, they tried, they couldn't even do that correctly. Like, I don't even know, like one of the players on Creighton's like bench, like they, they contributed I think it was eight points total. Yeah, eight, looking at the box, eight points total. And, like, they really weren't that much of a factor. Like, Kalkbrenner kind of provided a problem inside, but he only played 10 minutes. But he, he looked okay, like, in, in limited action. And it was just like – it didn't matter who they were throwing out there. So, it, it was just very, very disappointing. You would expect a little bit better from this team. And, look, I get everyone has bad game once in a while. But, like, this – like you said, Eugene, this felt like 2014 where it was helpless – like no matter yeah, what Creighton did, bad, but yeah, it was pretty bad. It, no matter what Creighton did, they were going to succeed at it, and there was nothing Villanova could do to stop it. The only hope was that you could outscore them, in you know the run and gun type thing. But we know that's not Villanova's play, so they just played into their hand, and that was the end of it. Speaking to the run and guns struggles, I mean, you can't do that when two top three, top four players are shooting for a combined six of twenty-five. Mm-hmm. Colin Gillespie only had eight points. Jeremiah Robinson Earl had eight points. Not an efficient shooting night for either of them. Justin Moore pretty much led Nova in scoring with 21 points. He hit some tough shots. Probably not the best shot selection, but at this point, you'll take whatever you can get, and he was the only one making them. Right. And then Jermaine Samuels had a nice start in the first half, 10 points, helped Nova stay in it, and then all of a sudden, I felt like he wasn't getting the ball anymore. What was up with that? He had 16 points and six boards. And then off the bench, Brandon Slater, quiet game, but he did pretty. He did a pretty good job offensively. He had 11 points and four boards, and we know how he is. He's usually better on the defensive end as well. Yeah, the Slater, like I said before, he was all right. And I mean, granted, more than half his points came in when basically the game was all but over. But I mean, like I said, the alternative is he doesn't do that. So I guess it was a little bit encouraging. But yeah, the, the starting five. Just like you said, Justin Moore was good, but his shot selection was uh, limited. <laughs> a lot of brain scratchers just inside the three-point line. Again, I, I think I've been saying that pretty much every game. And like, look, I can't get mad at him because he's hitting them. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know when those st- shots don't start to fall. It's, it's going to get a little frustrating. Um, Jermaine not getting the ball after like the first five minutes, Eugene, it was probably the biggest thing for me offensively. I mean, I, I don't know why you just didn't feed him. He was actually getting to the basket. And, you know, maybe his three-point reign is going to eventually dry up. But he was still hitting them. Like, you couldn't use them. Like, why are we going to Colin inside the post again and having him back down Damian Jefferson and Clark Bishop? Or Clark Bishop, wow. Christian Bishop for the millionth time. Can we try something different? Oh, Jerry's uh, posting up and popping a mid-range jumper that hasn't fallen since after COVID. I don't like that. Like, we couldn't get a little bit more creative. I I just wasn't the biggest fan. And – to be and I 
not the only reason why, but one of the reasons why Villanova was so close for Creighton in the first half, even though Creighton was kind of controlling it, was the offensive rebounding was huge in the first half. Huge. Jermaine was flying all over the place. Colin got a couple. Uh, so I was just like, all right, you know, maybe we can, at the end of the first half, it was like, oh, wow, Creighton's shooting like 75% from three. You know, Villanova can definitely come back in this. They're only down six. Uh, you know, Creighton's threes are going to dry up and it's going to be, it's going to be fine. It's just like the Georgetown game all over again from earlier in January. But no, that didn't happen because guess what? Those offensive rebounds were, they were, they were like long rebounds and I kind of want to put them in the lucky department. Obviously it takes talent to kind of track the ball down and whatnot. And that's what Jermaine was doing, but there were a lot of long rebounds on missed shots and they were converting early, but then there was that one possession at the believe at the end of the first half or, or it was the start of the second half where they got four offensive rebounds in the same possession and they didn't, they didn't hit one shot, not one. Like you got to convert on that. And then after that, it was, the game was pretty much set and done. I, I just, it, it, and then once the offensive rebounding shriveled up in the second half, that was it. The, the offense just wasn't good enough to sustain itself. Yeah. Once Creighton went on that second half run where I believe it was like eight or 10 or run to push it into double figures around 15 or so. That was when you knew it was the Scott Graham danger zone. That was a, uh, that yeah. was going to be a tough one to climb out of. Yeah, it was, it was bad. Creighton, they really, they put away Villanova before they could even make a run. And even on the broadcast, they're like, oh, if you don't expect Villanova to make another run, you're foolish. And I'm like, well, really though? Like you said that against St. John's, it was a different broadcasting, but they said that against St. John's and that run never really came. I know Virginia Tech, they had come back from a deficit, tied it up, went to overtime and ended up losing. But the St. John's and Creighton game, it doesn't seem like they're making runs anymore. It kind of seems like the losses are kind of, snowballing out of control especially late in the game they're not really fighting back and i'm not saying that they don't have the capability to do that but it's just a little concerning that like once they fall down like you know it's it's over like that we're not used to seeing that and a, a team i equated to and this is gonna go over 99 percent of people's heads but like the packers in like a couple of years ago whenever they lost they would lose by like 30 like they would just always get their butts kicked to them. Granted, they were few and far between, but their losses were by a significant margin once they went down. This team kind of has that same vibe where it's like, oh, once they start losing in that danger zone, Eugene, it kind of just spirals out of control. Well, this time around, I think it wasn't so much them kind of losing their will to fight. You just look at the St. John's game. St. John's, I mean, they <laughs> they just dominated Nova on both ends of the court, especially on the defensive end. I have not seen a team frustrate Villanova like the way the St. John's defense did in a long mm-hmm. time. And then yeah. you look at the Creighton game, I think Creighton just honestly out-executed, outperformed Nova in pretty much every category after halftime, unfortunately. But I think yeah. that's just how it happened. No, you're, you're right. I, I don't think I'm not saying that they don't have a they lose their will to fight or whatnot. It just seems that it their mis- mistakes get compounded as the game goes on and they try to they, they still bang their head against the wall and it's just they're not executing. And then but, you know, when they're not executing, they're not forcing the other team to not execute as well. Like the other team just executes just as well, if not better, as the game goes on, once they fall behind is what I'm saying. Their ability to catch up doesn't seem like it's there. Now, obviously, it's only two losses but in, in conference play that have been blowouts, but I don't know. I Let's just say, like, in a couple of weeks, like, or maybe it could be the next game against UConn. Like, what if they fall behind? Like, like by 8, 9, 10, are they going to – is it going to spiral? Is UConn going to continue to do what they do well, well? 
or is Villanova going to try and you know change something up? I, I, I guess it's more of an unwillingness to adjust is kind of what I'm hinting at. Yeah, it, it worked out against that first game against Georgetown December 11 when Nova was down big, but then also the, the Providence game with the sun delay where Nova kind of turned it on in the second half. I was kind of hoping it would happen the same on Saturday, but there's a moment in the game where you kind of think, all right, I don't think it's going to come this time around. Right. No, you're right. It's, <sighs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, like, we do this every year. <laughs> One or two losses sends us all into like an extension. Well, that, that's the other issue too. It's because it's like whatever. Yeah, we've seen this happen before, but not at the defensive numbers that they're showing right now. That's that's like the the one red flag to me during this moment. Not enough to hit the panic button, but there is definitely cause for concern. Right there, there certainly is. When you're 90th in the country <laughs> and adjusted defense, according to Ken Palm, it's uh, not a good look. Especially when your program is, you know, always kind of produced top fifty defenses in the past few years. Yeah, exactly. But even the the ninety ranking, it's like how how good is that when you're a bottom fifty three point defense in the country? That's that's alarming. Right. Especially we know that Villanova obviously prides itself on its three point shooting and shoot them up, sleep in the streets. They slept a little bit on Saturday, but as much as they love their threes, Jay Wright preaches and rewards defensive execution and hustle way more and unfortunately so far it hasn't been that great and i think creighton exposed something in a similar way that st john's did although st john's was just suffocating the whole time like it was like come on bro. it was like right posh alexander chill bro like come on yeah. just let us cross midcourt first and then you can you know you can do what you need to do yeah i i don't know it, it's isn't what would you say they like exposed the most though? Was, is it just so much the, just like the rotating on the perimeter? Was it the fact that they couldn't stop? Like what, in your opinion, do you, would you want to change about the defense? Well, that's, that's the thing. We don't have that one man who can, we can count on to be that lockdown threat or that guy who, you know, can take the top assignment and give him hell. You know, so maybe sometimes it is Jermaine Samuels. Maybe it is, Brandon Slater, but like you said, Chris Slater doesn't really provide the offensive punch to justify right. the the bigger minutes load. The rotations on D seem a little off. I mean, they were just a step behind on Saturday and everything. Mm -hmm. So that's an issue. But then the other issue, too, is as talented and as great JRE is, we need that front court depth. Eric Dixon, he didn't play for whatever reason on Saturday. And Jerry's great. He's a great rebounder. He's a solid scorer when he's on, but he, he's not exactly a rim protector like Ochefu was, or to a degree, Spellman, when he started, mm -hmm. he obviously got better at it as the season went on, as we saw against West Virginia when he had those crazy blocks. Right. So right now, those are kind of the two glaring weaknesses right now. Just the three-point D and rotations or close downs, whatever you may have, whatever you want to call it. And then just the fact that we don't have that last line of defense that you can rely on to just boom, <laughs> just take yeah. it out. Yeah. The inside lack of inside presence has definitely been glaring very much. So I forget what, what was it two weeks ago? Three. Yeah. It was two weeks ago where Georgetown just had everything inside to their will. Pewtis Wahab could have, like I said, like that had a field day down there. I mean, even Theo John, like, like, he's not all that great offensively. Like, he was still, you know, doing what he wanted. And I'm like, uh-oh. 
And but then like Creighton, you go against Creighton, you're like, oh well, you know, they're more of a three point shooting team. But then Bishop and Jefferson, they they did whatever they want. And then when you're not covering the perimeter as well as you're used to, then you're you're double screwed. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you can't. Day. You're you can't if you can't cover threes against a good three point shooting team, and you can't cover the inside, then what are you gonna do? Like, what is you're just basically floating around hoping they miss, just hoping they all have a bad day. And that's not what happened, clearly. No, I agree. I agree. And it's funny because I remember how last week we were like, oh, expect the game to show up early next week because they have this week-long gap. After Saturday, honestly, I, I don't think there's going to be yeah, a game no. anymore. I think it's no, time no, no, to no, just no, go no. back to the drawing board. Yeah, this is going to be a long week of practice, I feel like. <laughs> feel bad for whoever is going to be running and participating in that. Eugene, like you said, I, I back to the drawing board. Like I actually legitimately hope that you know there is a self scout of some sort, and they're able to identify any weaknesses and issues that hopefully they can work and improve upon. I'm not like you said. I don't think there's going to be a magical fix overnight, but I don't want you know I don't want to be seeing the three point defense that we've been seeing. So hopefully this week of practice they can figure it out. Maybe you know after the COVID thing and playing all these games in a short while, maybe it'll help a little bit with the rest and all, but you gotta, you gotta figure it out. And especially the better, better players on this team with Colin and Jerry kind of having lackluster past few games. And I know, I know the Marquette, I'm throwing the Marquette game out the window. Everybody had a good game. Everyone had a great game in that, but you know, in a big time game like this, you needed your big guys to step up and outside of Justin Moore in the first five minutes of the game with Jermaine Samuels, no one did. Yeah, and also since Nova hit the 13-game postseason requirement, there's no real pressure to schedule games anymore. I would have liked to see one originally, but after Saturday, I don't think rest and practice was a bad idea. No, it's not. It's not. And despite all our complaining, or mine anyway, Villanova's 8-2 in the conference, and next best is Creighton at 12-4. So if we're going off win percentage, still, still right there. Yeah, still sitting still. good. It, that's the thing with this college basketball season in, in general, and maybe more so this year. It's you just kind of just got to roll with it. It is what it is. It's February. We'll see how we stand in March. Next up for the Cats is a game against UConn on Saturday, but because it isn't until Saturday, we're going to save that for Thursday. Chris, I, before we just take a quick look at the polls, I just want to ask you now that we've gone through this and we've talked about the Creighton game. Right now, if everything holds, there are five games left on Villanova's schedule, and that's the UConn game this Saturday, rematch against St. John's, a road trip to Butler, rematch at home with Creighton, and then ending things on the road at Providence. Of those five games, what is Villanova's record? I think they'll win the Saturday one against UConn. I think they'll get their revenge against St. John's. I think they... I think they lose one of them against Butler or Providence, and then they'll be Creighton. I have them going three and two. They lose the road games. You you think they lose both those road games? I just don't like Hinkle Fieldhouse. I'm sticking with you know my original prediction from preseason. Um, Hinkle Fieldhouse, which is where they beat Creighton, and Providence is never an easy game. And I and I know Nova was able to pull away big time in the second half against Providence, but something tells me at the dunk. It's not going to be an easy one. But on the bright side, they do get the revenge against St. John's and Creighton. 
Yeah, I guess out of those five games, I'm actually probably most excited about like like in terms of like putting a group of five games together. I am actually really excited about this because you got the UConn game for the storyline. They haven't played UConn in the Big East yet, first time in forever. Uh, you get you can get your revenge against St. John's at Hinkle. Obviously, that's always a fun one, even though sometimes Villanova loses. So I guess it's not that fun. But then you get the re- hopefully revenge game against Creighton, and then at Providence at the dunk, like you said, it's always a problem. So out of like it, it just fits everything very well. So you get like two revenge games, a two tough road tests, and then you get the UConn one. So like I, I think that's kind of a nice little mix. Yeah, exactly. According to Kempom, though, he thinks Nova wins the next five. So <laughs> oh wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And what what I say four and one? Did I really did I say they'd be crazy? Yeah, you said four and one. Yeah, yeah. yeah you said no, I think I think they go through it too. I want to switch it up. Okay. I, All right. I think. I, I do think they lose one of those Butler Providence ones, but who knows, man? Those St. John's and Creighton, scary. Well, oh, yeah, ooh. scary, depending on how the first one went, but I, I would hope that yeah. we don't have a repeat. But I also remember in 2014, yeah. after the whole Ethan Raggy bombs game, just thinking, oh, there's no way that happens again. And then it happened again. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's why I'm, I'm most terrified. So we'll see. But, hey, you, they go out and beat UConn, and they go out and beat St. John's, and then we're all for, for feeling great again. So, yeah, we'll see. Just looking at the polls, the top four is still the same. Gonzaga, Baylor, still your top dogs at one and two. Michigan and Ohio State hold at three and four. Illinois slides into the top five, replacing Nova. And the Wildcats have dropped to number 10. Creighton moves up to number 14. Texas who Nova beat earlier in the year moves up to 12. Anything else stand out to you, Chris? Well, our worst fears have been confirmed, Eugene. <laughs> Alabama is now ahead of Illinois. I'm sure Javon Quinterly took a picture of this week's polls and framed it somewhere, either in his locker or his room. I'm sure he has, and <laughs> for good reason. But, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Alabama's at eight. Oklahoma surprisingly is at nine. I'm pretty sure I quipped a few weeks ago that I'm like, wow, Oklahoma is not good. And now they're number nine. So that's very predictable. Uh, Virginia's seven. Houston's still hovering at six. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, Kansas is back. Yeah, they, like, yeah, they returned to the top 25 with seven losses. Uh, let's see. Who did they beat this week? Was it Mount Holyoke or something? I don't know. <laughs> Some random D3 school time to put them back in. Oh, now they beat all Iowa State both times. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's worth it. Oh, they also beat Oklahoma State. All right, fine. That's that's see, finally. <laughs> see, that makes sense. Yeah, Loyola Chicago, so represented, bringing back Sister Jean. They are. Yeah, they lost to Drake too. I'm surprised they didn't fall out. Glad to see they're uh, still hanging around though. Yeah, Alabama though. I, this has to be their highest basketball ranking, I would assume. There's no way. Yeah, it's got to be number, or at eight. least at least in the past recent, five yeah. years or so. Yeah. I mean, they they had when they had Sexton, they were all right. I don't know if they flirted with the top ten though. No, had, no, 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 I don't think they did. Yeah, unfortunately, no other Big East teams outside of Nova and Creighton in the top twenty-five. Xavier's receiving votes though, despite the loss to UConn this weekend. Yeah, just a couple though, only four. Outside of that, that's that's about it. That's about it. All right, Chris, that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and answer the questions that you, the listeners, have for us. As always, you can tweet your questions to us at S-O-N-N pod and we'll discuss it on the show. First one is from Donna. She says, speedy pace of play beat us again. The St. John's and Creighton games have laid out a blueprint for future Nova opponents. 
this late in the season, should Nova be trying to up its pace of play? Chris, you were worried about a blueprint. Mm. Donna seems to also agree with you that the blueprint has been laid. How concerned are you? Should Nova start to turn up the tempo a notch? See, I I don't know. Like I, I'd say no because you'd be playing into the hands of said opponent that wants you to run and gun because we all know Nova probably works best in the half court in a slower tempo offense. But I mean, if you want to try it, I, I wouldn't be against it, but it, we're in February. It's like, do we really have the opportunities to try that? Like, are you going to go out against UConn and just start doing like seven seconds or less? It's, it's a tough, it's a tough call. I I'd say, no, I think they just kind of have to execute better. They just got to do what they're doing. There's a reason why they won 13 to 16 already. Do what you're good at doing and just fix up the defense. I know that's a lot simpler in theory than it is in execution, but the offense really to me isn't that so much the problem. It's the defense. And so, yeah, offensively, I don't think an increase of pace would really fix anything. What do you think? Yeah, I think it really just is execution. We didn't, I don't think we touched upon it, but uh, I'm just remembering, weren't there like a ton of bunnies that we missed in the first half? Oh, yeah. God, I forgot about that too. <laughs> it was like, if they made a good chunk of those, I think the score would have been a lot different at half, but unfortunately they didn't. In terms of pace of play, we've been kind of wishing and seeing with all this athleticism, with all this guards, you know, let's see Jay, let the dogs run free. Let's push the pace of play. Unfortunately, though, as I've kind of been realizing and digesting everything, not only is it one, Chris, like you mentioned, it's not really in their playbook or it's not really something they do, but even just over the last decade, Nova's historically operated at a slower tempo. The only time that they didn't or deviated from that, and it wasn't even by much, was in 2018. For example, their adjusted tempo in 2018 when they won the championship and had boatloads of NBA talent, they were just ranked 150th in adjusted tempo. This year, they're ranked 332nd. And that's typically where Nova is, towards the bottom of the co- towards the bottom of college basketball because they, you know, mm-hmm. slow and steady wins the race. <laughs> so I think Nova just has to play its style. It just has to execute better. I don't think playing into other teams' hands like a Creighton and St. John's who like the chaos, who like the – beat it up who like the running gun is going to help nova too much no it's not it comes down to execution and like you said with those missed layups in the beginning of that game i forgot that was another reason why i thought that they actually had a chance to come back because it was like oh you're only down six curtains hit everything you've missed everything in in creation (laughs) underneath the basket you're getting all these offensive rebounds you have a shot and then it never happened but yeah eugene it's it, it comes down to execution offensively and defensively they seem to be good at what they're doing currently for the Creighton game tempo-wise. So I just – we'll see. Let's see how it plays out the next couple games. And if it's still a problem, then, you know what, maybe time to switch it up. But I severely doubt that will ever be the case. Yeah, maybe against, like, a team like Hartford or something like right. that. <laughs> right. Yeah, have had it. Right. But with five Big East games remaining, I think it's a little too late for that. Next question is from Moishi Klatsberg. How much further do we fall? I would say if Nova does end up losing a couple more, I don't think they'll drop any further than 18 in terms of the rankings. Yeah, it seems to be a good spot to put them. I mean, you figure 
beat UConn, beat St. John's. And then if you do end up losing like Butler, Creighton back to back, I don't really see them dropping out at all. So yeah, I think worst case scenario, it's like 20, 21, 22 in that area. Yeah. I, I do think Nova will lose again from now until the end of the season, but I don't think they should fall out, fall out. Like there's no way. Yeah, no, they won't fall out. And for turn, tournament implications and, we all saw the top 16. Like, maybe they'll, they'll fall out of that if they were to lose that Butler-Creighton combo game. But other than that, you know, they won't. I don't think they'll fall out completely or even be any, in any discussion of a bubble thing. Next one is from Trey Hoffner. How is Nova going to be able to fix their suspect three-point defense? Chris, any ideas? I got none. This is why they don't pay me the big bucks, Eugene. <laughs> this, is why, this is why we're just guys who yell into microphones. Right, exactly. I think our point, opinions matter. Yeah, this is this is why uh, Jay has a coaching staff. And this is why he's a, a very good coach. He, I'm sure he will figure it out. I, I honestly, I wish I could like give some sort of opinion on it. I, I don't know what you do. I honestly don't know what you do. Is, is it just is it just execution? I'd like to think it is, but you're what? Would you say bottom thirty? In, bottom in, fifty. Bottom fifty. Bottom fifty. Do you just expect everybody to just finally? Wake up one day and they're like, oh, yeah, now I know how to play defense and that's it. What Do you have any ideas? How to fix it? Uh, this is pretty tough because, like I mentioned, we don't really have the greatest defenders, I would say, in terms mm-hmm. of, or at least compared to the last 10 years. Just looking at the Creighton game, I felt like Creighton beat us at Villanova's own game where they got the dribble penetration. Once he beat that first guy off, then you gotta. Then we're struggling, we're scrambling all over the place and help D or whatever the case may be. And then Creighton is just picking apart the Nova D and just passing to the open man and then cashing in. I wish we had better one-on-one defenders, but we just, yeah. we just don't. We just don't have it. Yeah. I, and I think that's kind of one of the bigger issues here. We don't have those good one-on-one perimeter defenders, or you know, someone who can just clamp down a guy. Right. I, I agree with you. And I think the interior defense is just so bad this year, too, that it leaves a lot open on the perimeter. It's just the, the kick out. It's just, it's just always there. So they're, they're going to get wide open shots. And obviously, that those are higher percentage than contested ones. So, like, I do believe there is an issue on the perimeter, but the issue inside, I think, is compounding the pr- problems on the perimeter as well. And vice versa, too. I think the fact that, you know, we don't have a lockdown defender one-on-one on the perimeter just leaves everything open inside. And when Jerry and Jermaine Samuels are last line of defense, not the best. Exactly. There is no rim stopper. Like you said earlier. Yeah. And obviously, as we know, Jay will sometimes deploy his own, but this team isn't his own team. And sometimes you can no. tell. <laughs> you can tell. No, no, no. And like, maybe you can start throwing stuff at the wall. Like I'm just throwing it out there. Like, does Dixon even get involved? Like, do you even try and throw him out there and, like, just hope it's better? It can't get worse, like, interior-wise. Like, does Antoine come in and just try and do something perimeter-wise defensively? Or do you just run the risk of having Slater out there the whole time and cost yourself on the offensive end? Like, I, I don't know. I, I I don't know how you fix it. Yeah, because you, you even have guys getting lost off the ball – Opponents are freeing themselves, and then they, you know, their teammates are able to find them, and then they punish Nova. It just seems like Nova's just a step behind. And 
the other thing too, and we do have to put in perspective is Creighton, no matter what we say, since they got into this league, they've been consistently one of the better offenses around. Not so, you know, defense is kind of new to them. Then they just started getting better at that over the last couple of years. But I do think that Greg McDermott is one of the better offensive minds. And, you know, this just could be, you know, credit to him, credit to his coaching and exposing yeah. Nova's defense. Yeah, I, and I agree with you. The problem, though, is that, like, if Creighton's doing this to you, God knows what's going to happen when you go up against – if, God willingly, like, you go up, up against a Gonzaga or a Baylor or an Iowa, even. Look, we're just going to hope that Gonzaga <laughs> gets a little too big on itself from playing in the West Coast Community College League. <laughs> oh, boy. Or, or the committee does another solid and is like, oh, you think you're great? All right, here's your field. And it's like – completely rigged against them right just stack the region yeah yeah it's uh that's what that's why they play the games i guess that's why we'll figure it out when that bracket gets released but until then we'll just yeah. keep on worrying yeah, this, yeah exactly like this defense definitely has its problems but i don't think the fix will be as easy as something like i i don't think it can Rotate be done overnight it. yeah it's like yeah, we have guys not. closing out late guys scrambling around off the ball it's just not pretty. It was not pretty. No. It's one thing when, you know, you have the occasional misassignment, but if you're what feels like always two steps behind, never a good time. Never a good time. No. Next one is from John Paul May. Was the inability to contain Bishop on his screen and slip to the rim on the players, on the coaches, or due to the lack of big man on the current roster? Uh, I'm going to go D, all of the above. Yeah, I was going to say the same too. I mean, you can scheme guys to play defensively all you want, but if they don't execute and they don't, and they're just not tall enough <laughs> to swat away a, a lob pass, it's just you can't do it. It's impossible. Then it's not on the coaches, so it's on everybody. Yeah, like I don't think the game planning was the best. Just as I don't think the game planning was the best against St. John's, but on the other hand, you do, like you said, Chris, need the players to execute. Wasn't much execution going on on the defensive end. Guys were losing men. This and that. And also, as we've mentioned already on the show, don't have that rim protector. Just don't. Like, no. I like JRE, but he's not that enforcer like Ochefu or Spellman was down the line. Right. Or I even guess. like Daryl Reynolds. Like Daryl Reynolds, you knew he was there to be a bruiser. Like that, like that right, guy had exactly. one job. Get you rebounds and just stop anybody. And he did a great, did a great job at it. Even if he wasn't, you know, scoring so much scoring. Yeah. yeah, on the offensive side. Like even if like like, even if, like, Omari had, like, a bad game offensively, at least you know defensively he was going to at least try and be there, you know, to stop anything getting inside and prevent it. Chef wasn't as big of a focal point on the offense as Omari was, but, you know, if he wasn't going offensively, he was still there to protect the rim. If Jerry's not going going offensively, then it's kind of like, you know, what is he, what is he doing? Yeah, it's like he's a good rebounder, and I think he's a good all-around big man, but rim protection is definitely one of his right. deficits. Right, yeah. I mean, look, I, I understand he's good, but the, I'm saying with the rim protecting stuff. Not yeah. Every, not yeah, every, no, every, yeah. Every, again, every. Yeah, it's like we don't we don't have that where we can funnel the entire offense to go to this one guy who you know is going to shut you down. <laughs> right, right. Next set of questions is from Dan Gibson. Is Antoine going to see increased playing time? I was a little surprised to see him play. I'm not going to lie. Given the <laughs> way that Jay had talked about his situation and, to see him go out, even though it was only for a couple minutes against Creighton, 
was a little surprising. Yeah, it was. It was probably the one exciting thing about the second half. You got to see a little bit of burn from him. He didn't hit a shot, but at least he was out there. Yeah, he didn't hit a shot. Kind of a bummer, but he was out there. And that kind of leads into his next question. Would you increase the playing time of Patterson and Antoine? Patterson is an interesting one because he could add some front court depth, which we see that we desperately need. I still don't know what was going on with Dixon on Saturday. What was up with that? But we do need some front court depth. DCR isn't coming back anytime soon. I mean, he's out indefinitely. Whenever indefinitely is the answer for your injury, that's never a good sign. Patterson, we know that he's the highly touted recruit, but the guy's only been around for a couple weeks, and I highly doubt he's caught up to speed with anything. And Brian Antoine, according to Jay, he's still the ninth man. So that's not good. Yeah. I To the question, do you increase their playing time? Like I said, like maybe throwing st- someone out there differently like would change something, maybe just a hope. But I doubt it. And I, I don't think I would give them much, much leeway. Like Patterson, like you said, Eugene, like throwing Patterson out there actually might do the team worse defensively because. I feel like he's probably just not up to snuff on the system yet. And that's not on him. It's just the fact that he yeah. just hasn't been there. <laughs> yeah, he just, he just showed up. He just unpacked his things like a couple weeks ago. Right. He's barely even moved in yet. So I I don't think that would really do much. Now, look, obviously, if you get in a blowout, winning or losing, and you want to trot them out there like they did with Antoine, then fine, be my guess. I don't have any problem with that. But for any consistent playing time, no. But I do want to see Eric Dixon play a little bit more, and that's completely ridiculous that he didn't play at all on Saturday. Yeah, I would have liked to see another big body out there, but didn't happen. I know yeah. he probably would have had a hard time too just because we've seen how he guards opponents when he gets taken out of the post. Not exactly the prettiest, but it wouldn't have uh, hurt trying. Wouldn't have hurt trying. Ex- exactly, and it would have been better than Swider. And this is kind of a sad one, but I don't know if you saw Dylan Dennis' tweet yesterday. But he was like, mm-hmm. oh, with March Madness around the corner and COVID upon us, schools might lose some important guys on the roster at crucial times during the tournament because of protocol. I still got years of eligibility. Who needs my assistance? You know I have a lifetime NCAA pass. Laughing face, mm-hmm. laughing face, laughing face. And Dylan Ennis would help out. He could definitely help out. More guards. Why not? He'll be like Grant Gibbs. Oh, yeah, the 30-year-old was playing in the NCAA. Yeah, I think Brandon Weedy was Gibbs, like 27. At the time, he, he he was up there, yeah. Yeah, he was at least twenty six, twenty seven. Crazy. Yeah, I, I hope he's joking. He is joking. Oh no, he is joking. But uh, he would definitely help out. He he, he would. Redemption tour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, redeem himself for the NC State team. Last set of questions are from Jerry Quinn. First one: When did you feel Creighton had our number on Saturday? It's definitely the second half. For me, I would say it was when Creighton went on that run. And- push the lead into double figures the body language on nova didn't look great and also just with the way that the game is going you could tell that that was the game changer right there yeah i'd happen to agree with you although mitch ballack pulling up from near half court and hitting threes i'm like (laughs) that's just that that might be that might be the sign that we're all looking for (laughs) yeah there's also that point in the game where it's like all right well if they're gonna make that might as well just pack it up and, and just go right yeah there's 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 no hope Although, I mean, there there was. I mean, like I said, at the end of the first half, down six, you were thinking maybe, but after, yeah, Eugene, after that first initial run to start the half, it's like, yeah, that was pretty much it. 
It was kind of like in 2016 when Chris Jenkins pulled up from the logo because the shot clock was winding down. It was like, oh, well, I have to chuck this up. And then it was just <laughs> wish. It was like, God, if you're a Miami fan, you looked at them like, yeah, this game's over. <laughs> yep, yep. That was uh, one of the many moments on that run where you were like, all right, maybe maybe we got something here. But we that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, that's a nice trip down nostalgia. Yeah, which, which is normally a sign that uh, we're longing for happier times because Saturday <laughs> was a rough one. Yes, it was. Next question from Jerry is, do we need to focus on offense or defense to improve over the final regular season games? Chris, we've highlighted it on the show, and I think it's kind of been a theme, and Ken Palm seems to support us, even though I feel like he probably could have dropped the Cats adjusted defense a little bit further. But it's got to be the defense. I mean, the three-point defense, bottom 50, two-point defense is below average. Can't, can't be half that. It's not, it's not the Villanova teams we're used to. No, not at all. It, it has to be. So the offense, despite Jerry losing all his uh, shooting touch since COVID, the COVID lockdown and Colin having a bad couple of games here and there, it's still fifth in the country, according to Ken Palm. The offense is still pretty good. Yeah, they only put uh, only put up 70 against Creighton, but they'll, they'll find it eventually. I have to believe they will. Defense, though, it's it's absolutely horrendous. The, the team will go as only far as the defense will take them. And if they're going to put out defensive performances like that, it, it's not going to be good. There were just things like bunnies and things like that that it was frustrating to see them miss. But you know that probably on a normal day, they would have made those. At least I would I would hope they would. Right. And, or just, you know, it'll all, yeah, it'll just all even out at one, at one point in, the, in time. Like some of the mid-range shots from JRE will start falling. Those layups, like you said, are going to start falling. And, you know, instead of 70 points, you're putting up 80. But if you're giving up 80 nothing a game, it's that's a problem. Yeah, and in just a week and a half's time, Villanova's adjusted defense ranking dropped from 38th to 90. Not a good sign. Not a good no. sign. No, not at all. Shout-outs to Esteban Diamor for pointing that one out because I wasn't 100% sure what the ranking was before. I knew it was probably around the 40-ish mark, but it was 38. Right. Yeah, every time we kept checking Kempom, it was just slowly dropping. It, it wasn't like egregious, like an egregious drop, but now it's like, oh, yeah, that, that is a problem. Last question from Jerry is, do you know anyone who has gotten the vaccine? Full vaccination? Yes, I do know one person. I got both parts. Yes. Wow. My uh, my brother did got both, but it's for his uh, job, so he needed to get it. Oh as yeah, a public worker. So yeah, that's pretty much it about you. Yeah, I know some teachers who've gotten it. Um, a couple of family members of mine who are like nurses, so they're you know that was kind of like a given. My parents are signed up to get the vaccine next month. I believe, I want to say, at least I think that's what they told me when I spoke to them yesterday. But, uh, yeah, a lot, you, you know, now that I think about it, probably a lot more than I thought. I think we're looking at, like, close to two dozen people that I know who've got the vaccine. Not both parts, though, but they're going to right. get the first part, at least. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, if we're including just the first part, I, I know a few more, but fully vaccinated, just one person. Actually, no, two people I know, actually, now that I think about it. Two fully vaccinated people. That's it. But better than none. 
Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Chris, I think we're kind of lower on the totem pole. Although I, I did hear in Arizona, media is kind of considered 1B essential. So maybe that changes in New York. But uh, yeah, in Arizona, media is under 1B. Sounds pretty wow. important. That's, that's pretty crazy. Should move to Arizona just to get the vaccine and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if only were that easy, right? I, I've read these crazy stories how in like other states, people are like bribing to be able to take like an older person just so they get vaccinated. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah, that's a little much. We, we should get, we should get the, the older population and the vulnerable crowd. Let them take it first. And the essential workers, obviously. Right. Yeah. I, I'm content with holding off on getting the vaccine, knowing that people ahead of me were getting it absolutely needed. Like, I, I obviously want the vaccine, but, you know, I I think I stand a better chance than other the other people in the other groups, knock on wood. Yeah, I was going to say, we're like, what, 26, 27? We'll, we'll take yeah. our chances. We'll, we'll take yeah. our vitamins, put on our mask, drink our orange juice. No. I'm feeling good. I mean, go go lift, uh, drink some protein, you know, feel good, right. feel good. Exactly, exactly. I don't want the damn thing. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm avoiding it at all costs. And God forbid, I do contract it. But, you know, other others who are more at risk deserve it more. And I'm willing to st- wait in line, so to speak. I'm not in that high risk or at risk population, so I, I can wait my turn. I'm cool with that. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. You can do so at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Megaphone, Podbean. You got many, many options. Please check back and check often at viewhoops.com. We're always pumping out content. Please follow the site on social media at View Hoops. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. Like our page on Facebook. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 I'm Chris Danzio. I got nothing. Stay safe, everybody. Nova Nation, the loss on Saturday still kind of hurts. Hopefully it gets better and we can kind of shake it off and prepare for Saturday's game against UConn. In the meantime, we'll catch you back on Thursday. We'll be back at it again. Have a good one.